Are you working? What kind of work do you do? You're listening to The Edge with Aaron Karolnik. Giving you the expert advantage in the world of gambling and fantasy. Oh, what a night. What a night we have ahead. Not only, certainly not only in Canada, the United States, worldwide. The U.S. election on tap this evening. You know, go to CTV News, wherever you consume your content. Because the polls have closed in many states and I'm sure, I know, there are many, many, many people out there who are very eager to hear the results, not only because of what's happening in our world, the political spectrum, all of that nonsense, but also because there are many out there, including myself, who have some significant wagers on the results of tonight's election. That's right, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Certain states, swing states, where will the state of Pennsylvania go? Michigan. I will break it all down for you throughout the evening. My name is Aaron Karolnik, and welcome in to The Edge, live here on TSN 1050 in Toronto. We're streaming worldwide, tsn1050.ca. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So we got some special things coming to our podcast subscribers. But first, let's bring in Mr. 2-0 himself. You know him as Al's brother from Overdrive, the trivia quiz master on today's show, I presume. What's going on, A.B.? Doing well, doing well. Did you see that there was a gentleman over the pond in uh, mm-hmm. Britain that laid a $5 million bet on tonight's election? Yes, I did see that, and you may be wondering, was that you, Aaron? And no, it was not me. I may have a wager on Joe Biden. I believe there's some great value in that wager, and I'll explain it in just a moment. But yes, Al's brother, you're talking about the largest ever wager on a political bet, and this is definitely the most divisive election we've probably ever had in our world it's pretty clear there are two sides there are the trumpers and there are those who back joe biden and there's very little in between but let me break you down exactly where we stand from a gambling perspective as of this morning joe biden's odds to win the election remained pretty steady although they did dip slightly over the past eight hours they went from minus 185 to minus 160 so trump's odds improved to win just a little bit but clearly biden's implied probability is higher as far as the gambling markets go at about 61 percent likelihood of victory now as heard on overdrive tonight the electoral college a very important aspect of this election 270 votes needed to win the election and this election, this election offers many paths to victory, but there's a couple of states. Let's look at Pennsylvania with its 20 votes, electoral college votes up for grabs. The Democrats are favored to take Pennsylvania, minus 190. And the Republicans are favored at minus 160 to take the state of Florida. So we will cover all of that throughout the show. We have Tyler Fulgham, ESPN Sports Gambling Analyst. He'll join us in about 10 minutes' time. Ian Harditz from Pro Football Focus will join us. These are two Americans, guys, one from Vegas, one from Michigan. So we will get their their thoughts on exactly what's happening in their fine country this evening. But first, House Brother, let's do this. Tired of dull predictions? What, 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 can, I, what can I say? Let me explain this to you. Time to sharpen your edge. A tough one for those backing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last night. Twelve and a half point favorites, and they were lucky to escape with a victory at all. Winning by just two points, not even coming close 
to covering the 12 and a half points and heading into last night. A lot of people, I know Al's brother, you were on the Bucks. I was on the Bucks. Tom Brady, 17 and 5 as a double digit favorite in his career. Well, he's now 17 and 6. And my theory, which I probably should have embraced prior to betting on the Bucks last night, was that they're looking ahead to this Week 9 matchup with the New Orleans Saints. You're talking about Antonio Brown's debut. You're talking about perhaps the return of Michael Thomas, who hasn't played in Week 1. And this is a battle for the division. These are the two top teams in the division, and I think it's pretty clear they're going to be going head-to-head for the rest of this season and probably should have noticed that the Bucks could very well be overlooking the Giants in this one. Yeah, I also think that just when you look at the spread, it was 12.5, which is quite large. And Tom Brady, for whatever reason, we thought maybe since he's on a different team, the Brady versus the Giants matchup isn't quite as spicy as as it mm-hmm. once used to be during the heyday of, of Eli Manning. But obviously, the, the ghost of Manning and the Giants still roaming around out there, and Tom Brady, for whatever reason, just doesn't show up when he's got to play the Giants. Yeah, it's a it's a mystery, and he did not play his best game at all last night, and he's very fortunate to be going up against Daniel Jones, who time and time again shows he's not a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. But I will say the Giants' defense acquitted itself pretty well against a potent Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense, which was missing Chris Godwin, but at the same time, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that the Giants' run defense in particular looked pretty good last night. And just so we can get this out of the way, are you? Did you think it was pass interference? Because that could have affected the money line here. Because they could have tied it, it yeah, up and definitely. brought it to OT. I do think it was pass interference. I think they got the call right. Um, but um, you know, at the same time, there's arguments they made. It was pretty close. Um, a pretty close call. So uh, I, I must to to echo my boy Carlo Coliacovo on first up here on TSN 1050. Oh, you got to get that review back in the game and and make sure that these calls are orchestrated correctly because. Certainly a lot of uh, divisiveness, much like the U.S. election, with regards to that call last night. Let's start looking ahead to week number nine in the NFL. Let's start with the Thursday nighter between the San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. Now, this game, it is almost difficult to discern who will be in and who will be out of the lineup for both teams. You're talking about a Niners team. Won't have Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo, their starting quarterback. Won't have Raheem Mostert, their starting running back. Won't have Debo Samuel, their number one wide receiver. Will not have George Kittle, their number one tight end. Will not have Solomon Thomas, their number one offensive lineman. And will not have Mr. Bosa on the defensive line, their best defensive lineman. So, you'd think Green Bay should win this game in a rout. But... I would be very hesitant to think that way at this point, considering that Green Bay's defense has really, really struggled. And when you're talking about the NFL's trade deadline, which of course went today at 4 o'clock, many people were very critical of the way that the Green Bay Packers approached that, because... Will Fuller is a stud wide receiver when he's healthy. And let's make sure we add that caveat because he's not healthy all of that often. He's been pretty healthy this year, but in years past, hamstring injuries, groin injuries have really wreaked havoc on his ability to stay on the field. But when Will Fuller's there, and he's been pretty good this year in spite of a pretty porous offensive performance from the Texans as a whole, if I'm the Green Bay Packers and I look what I did this offseason, not getting Aaron Rodgers anything really of substance, using your first-round pick on a backup quarterback, using your second-round pick on a third-string running back in A.J. Dillon, and then you have an opportunity to go out and get a guy who could very well be a game-breaker at wide receiver to pair alongside Devontae Adams. I think there was a significant missed opportunity for the Green Bay Packers this afternoon. 
Yeah, I was a little surprised. I thought that when I heard that they were interested in Will Fuller, I thought that would have been an opportunity for them to satisfy Aaron Rodgers. He's done really well to this point, but... I think more so just the fact that I believe that, that NFC is kind of wide open. I mean, you, you saw yep. the the Bucks; they were contended with with the Giants. I don't know if that was an anomaly or the Bucks just not as good as we think they are. Because I saw some reports out there saying that you know the fancy stats and analytics are saying that the Bucks are are by far the best team in the NFC. DVOA, Al's brother. Yeah. DVOA. Shout out to Pro Football Focus. And, and and so I just think that you have a team like the Green Bay Packers. They have a, a prolific quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's aging a little bit. You get him an opportunity to go and get him a, a true number two receiver behind Devontae Adams and try and help out that team a little bit in a, in a division and in, in a conference in which they very well could be uh, a chance to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl and you don't go out and do anything. I, I thought it was a wrong play by the Packers. I, I can't think of a team that is as ravaged by injury as the San Francisco 49ers are at this current moment. And the Packers are laying five points at the Niners on Thursday night. And that number seems a little bit low. I know that the running back situation for the Packers is a little bit in flux considering some co- some positive COVID tests or some COVID concerns with Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon. So we don't know if Aaron Jones will be ready to go in time for the game with a calf injury. So you could be looking at a practice squad running back, but still, I just think there's just way too battered of a team in San Fran to compete with the Packers at this point. Yeah, my early lean's got to be with the Pack. You just there, There's nobody left in San Francisco. They don't have their starting quarterback, their tailback, their edge nobody. rushers, some corners are injured. You know, like they Richard really Sherman, got, yeah. Richard Sherman, George Kittle, who's pretty much their entire offense, Debo Samuel. Unbelievable I mean, you, player. You rattled it off, but they got nobody. So it's going to be tough for them to get wins going forward for the rest of the year. I mean, George Kittle potentially out all season, and Garoppolo's going to miss some extended time. How much do you have faith in Nick Mullins? Eh, probably not too, too much. So I, I don't see them winning this week and I don't see him winning much more games for the rest of the season. Yeah, man, if there is a remedy to a offense savaged by injury, it is the Green Bay Packers defense, which has been crushed time and time again this year. But even that defense might not be susceptible to the losses on offense for the San Francisco 49ers. Tyler Fulgham of ESPN, he's a gambling and fantasy sports host and analyst. He's going to join us next. We'll talk about the Niners, and we'll talk about who might be starting at quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. If you thought last week was an embarrassment, this This week might even be worse. I'm Aaron Korolnik. You're listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050. Back here on The Edge, live on TSN 1050 in Toronto. We stream worldwide, tsn1050.ca. A huge night in our world, the United States election and we are extremely appreciative of our next guest pulling himself away from the television. Certainly a lot more of impactful a night for him than it is for us here north of the border. But Tyler Fulgham of ESPN, he's their gambling and fantasy sports host and analyst. And he joins us here on The Edge. What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, Aaron. How are you? We're doing very well, thank you. I, I'm sure at this point, Tyler, you know that you basically share the same name as Travis Fulgham, the Philadelphia Eagles breakout wide receiver. Yeah. That must have been quite the surprise surprise for you. With the beginning of the year, like, oh, this guy gets cut by the Packers in the offseason. He's not going to do anything for the Eagles. And he becomes one of the preeminent stars at wide receiver in the NFL. What's, what's that been like for you? 
I had seen him ball out a little bit at Old Dominion. You remember at Old D- okay. ODU beat Virginia a, a few years back, and Travis Fulgham had a uh, monster game in that one. So I always thought as a T Fulgham, I was going to be an NFL player. That didn't work out when I never grew to six foot three and couldn't run more than a four nine forty. But uh, and we spell it a little bit differently, pronounce it differently. But it is cool to see a T Fulgham very close to my name. Um, uh, balling out because he's been he's been a savior for Carson Wentz. I think he might uh, you know kind of shift the balance of power there with everything that's happened in the NFC East to the Dallas Cowboys and make the Eagles the favorite there because the, the, they were struggling to find pass catchers with all the injuries and Fulgham has been a stud for them all year long. Yes, yes, he certainly has, and you are a stud at ESPN, my friend. That's, I want to start with the ES with the NFC East, I should say, and the mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys have been an unmitigated disaster all season long, not having covered against the spread. 0-8 against the spread this season, and I'm looking at their matchup this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The line just released this afternoon. Dallas, a 13-and-a-half-point home dog against the undefeated Steelers, and I can't say I'm surprised at all, because after what we saw from Ben DiNucci, you figured something would be coming up at quarterback for Dallas, and their answer, Jerry Jones' answer at quarterback, either a practice squad quarterback in Cooper Rush or Garrett Gilbert, who I don't even know where they found him, but do you have any inclination, any idea how you could come up with a wager, a way to defend betting on the Cowboys at 14 or less? Absolutely not. I mean, if you're not betting the Steelers, you should probably stay away from this game. We did just see last night, you know, the Giants as a 13-point dog basically uh, go toe-to-toe and almost win outright against um, the Tampa Bay Bucks. So as they say, on any given Sunday, anything can happen. But when you take a look at this micro matchup, with no Dak Prescott, with no Andy Dalton, with all the issues on their offensive line, how are the Dallas Cowboys going to put points on the board against one of the best defenses in the NFL? The Pittsburgh Steelers blitz at the highest rate, pressure at the highest rate, have studs at all three levels, T.J. Watt up front. You have the linebackers uh, led by Devin Bush in, the, in that second level, and Minka Fitzpatrick, of course, at that third level. Mike Tomlin, stability, coaching advantage over Mike McCarthy. I um, am either going to bet the Steelers in this one, and I kind of like it 13 and a half. They just got to win by two touchdowns. Um, but if, if you're thinking about the Dallas Cowboys, don't do it. Don't do it just uh, unless it gets up to like 17 or close to 20. Um, but I just, I, and not on the other side of the ball, obviously I didn't even mention the fact that the Cowboys can't stop a nosebleed. Ben mm-hmm. Roethlisberger have all day to throw. They have weapons on the perimeter now. Like five deep when you add Ebron and Chase Claypool to Deontay Johnson, James Washington, and Juju Smith-Schuster. They have uh, a stable of running backs led by James Conner. So uh, this one is bet the Steelers to stay away from me. Yeah, man, and, and I think about the Chiefs being 20-point favorites to the Jets. Like, How much worse are the Dallas Cowboys than the Jets at this point, considering who their quarterback is going to be this week? You can't tell me that Sam Darnold's not a huge upgrade on Cooper Rush or Garrett Gilbert, so anything less than four teams seems like a complete no-brainer when it comes to betting against the Dallas Cowboys this week. You mentioned Monday Night Football last night, which saw the... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers just sneak out a W over the Giants, not even coming close to covering the 12.5 points. But now the Bucks host the New Orleans Saints, and they are laying 5.5 points at home. What do you make of this game, which will, of course, mark the debut of Antonio Brown at wide receiver for Tampa? Yeah, we were just talking about this very line today on Daily Wager with Doug Kazarian and Preston Johnson, and we all agree that this is way too much. 
for the Tampa mm-hmm. Bay Bucks. They probably got caught looking ahead to this week uh, when they played so poorly on Monday night against the um, New York Giants. But the New Orleans Saints are a very good team, and they beat the Bucks. yes, in week one. The Bucks are better. Adding Antonio Brown only makes that offense even more explosive, potentially. But five and a half seems like way too much. We all agreed this should be closer to two and a half, three for the Buccaneers. So I think right now is tremendous value on the New Orleans Saints, who can match up. We know their defense has had its issues from time to time, but you still have a quarterback like Marshawn Lattimore. You still have someone like Jack Rabbit, Janoris Jenkins, who could be sticky to guard these wide receivers. Chris Godwin won't be there. So, And, and Antonio Brown has a week of practice to try and get in uh, sync with Tom Brady. I know they had moments together last year, a few practices in New England, but I just I think five and a half right now is way too much for a team as good as the New Orleans Saints. I do, I do think the Bucks are one of the best in the NFL, but the Saints are right there with them, and this line is probably two, two and a half points skewed in favor of the New Orleans Saints in terms of value. So I jump on that right now because we all agreed as we get closer to kickoff later in the week, uh, that number's probably going to come down. And you have to think the Saints could very well be getting Michael Thomas back, who hasn't been in the Great lineup point. since week one, and he was unquestionably the best wide receiver in the NFL last year alongside Drew Brees. In our previous segment, Tyler, we talked about the just the rash of injuries the San Francisco 49ers have faced this year. Now Jimmy G and George Kittle out for extended period of time, and probably not good timing considering Thursday Night Football this week features the Niners and the Packers. The Niners hosting the Packers. Now, the Pack only laying five and a half points in San Francisco, and considering all the injuries the Niners are facing, that number seems a little short to me as well. What do you make of it? Yeah, this one is a little tough. I I saw a tweet that, I mean, it really has no bearing on, you know, real-life football, but it was interesting for the perspective of the injuries that the 49ers are dealing with. If you took the... um, rosters from Madden 20 and look at the top like 15 rated players on the San Francisco 49ers from this year in Madden 20, 11 or 10 of them are like gone for the year on IR. It's just been crazy how wrecked they've been by injury. And I think Aaron Rodgers is still one of the top three, top two talented quarterbacks in the NFL right there with Patrick Mahomes in terms of arm talent and ability to manipulate defenses. But this uh, Green Bay team uh, has trouble uh, uh, def- uh, defensively, they are they're not an efficient, they're not an effective defense, especially relative to the talent they have. Jair Alexander is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. They have Smith brothers who are phenomenal rushing the passer a season ago. So it does seem short, but I'm not so sure, Aaron, that Nick Mullins isn't an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. I feel Ooh. more comfortable laying the five if it was Jimmy Garoppolo on his hobbled ankle going out there for the San Francisco 49ers without George Kittle rather than Nick Mullins. Mullins put up 238 yards in the fourth quarter. There is context and nuance to that. Seattle is probably playing a very soft, very vanilla prevent defense that allowed him to just dink and dunk and pick up chunk yardage as they were trying to you know, have that clock run to zero because the game was well within hand. But Mullins at least has some athleticism. We've seen him come on and play capably before under Kyle Shanahan. So I'm kind of a little wary of laying the five with the San Francisco 49ers due to the unknown, but... If you had me pick one right now, I would trust Aaron Rodgers, of course, 100 times out of 100 over someone like Nick Mullins. So this one scares me a little bit. Going two time zones to the West for the Green Bay Packers, that's something that they haven't done well and just teams in general haven't done well on short rest for a Thursday night game. So I'm probably going to pass. Even though it looks juicy, I'm probably going to pass on the Thursday night affair, probably try some player props 
to invest in. Aaron Rodgers with no Aaron Jones, with no Jamal Williams, probably having his third or fourth stream running back. I'm going to bet the over on his passing yards. I'm going to bet the over on his completions. I'm going to bet the over on his pass attempts. I'm going to bet the over on Devontae Adams in terms of his opportunity and his production. So I'll probably stay away from the side or the total, but go into player props where we know the opportunity will be focused for that Green Bay offense. You are speaking my language, Tyler. Thank you for that. I, I'm completely with you on the Devontae Adams as well. Aaron Rodgers is going to feed him relentlessly heading into Thursday night. I want to close with what's happening um, down in Buffalo, just a couple of hours away from us here in Toronto, where the Seattle Seahawks make their way to Buffalo. Is it still called Ralph Wilson Stadium in Buffalo? Maybe New no, Era Fields? I don't Fields. Think they call it the Ralph anymore, yeah. New in, Era. In, in any case, yeah, I'm, I'm, an old, I'm an old man, Tyler. I don't know what's going yeah, on well, in, our, in yeah. a, People you know, like the, the Ralph anyway. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to stick with the Ralph for the purposes of this conversation. And if you heard me on this station before, I don't believe the Buffalo Bills are for real. Yeah, they're 6-2, and two, but since the first couple of weeks of this season, this team has been mediocre at best. They barely snuck by a practice squad named, uh, we call the uh, New England Patriots at this point. And yet <laughs> Seattle only a 2.5-point favorite in Buffalo. I've been so impressed with Russell Wilson and the offense. The defense... Certainly a little bit left to be desired. What is your handle on Seattle minus two and a half in Buffalo this weekend? I had a I had an instinct, a gut feeling when I first saw this, and I was kind of in the minority when we went on Daily Wager and was talking with Doug and Preston. They seemed to like Seattle. Obviously, we know the level at which, which Russell Wilson is playing. It's God mode. He's the leader in, in the, the clubhouse for the MVP right now. DK Metcalf has taken that leap into superstardom as well. And Tyler Lockett's probably the most underrated wide receiver, uh, pound for pound, in the entire NFL. They may be getting Jamal Adams back, and he obviously is a game changer, but I have, I'm, an, I'm a Rams fan, so I watch a lot of the NFC West, and I have watched a lot of the Seahawks because they've been in prime time, and I know this team is, can be exploited. Their defense is awful. Even when Jamal Adams was playing, their defense was awful. They cannot pressure the quarterback. Their best pass rusher is a safety, Jamal Adams. Think about that. That is their best pass rusher. They cannot get after the quarterbacks. That's why quarterbacks are averaging well over 350 yards per game passing against this team. So I think it's actually a good spot for the Buffalo Bills. I think teams are, are I think, better. I think the market is kind of down on them after what they saw last week against the Patriots. So the Patriots had a very good opportunity to win that game. Although, for me, that was a desperation shot spot for the Patriots. Coming off the last couple of weeks with those embarrassing losses, I knew they'd give the Bills their best effort. And the Bills still came away with that victory. Josh Allen... Uh, Josh Allen, pardon me, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, and Smokes in the lineup, they can exploit this Seattle defense. And the fact now that Zach Moss is getting more involved in the offense, I actually like the Bills. I'm going to be betting the Bills in this one because I think the Seattle Seahawks are walking a high-wire tightrope. They're relying on Russell Wilson to account for three, four, five touchdown passes every game. To this point, he's done it, but that's not sustainable. Their defense needs to be better. I think the Bills' defense can get better because they have studs like Tredavious White on that side of the ball. And I just like them in a home spot where Seattle going all the way across from the West Coast to the East Coast for a 1 p.m. kickoff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the underdog home dog here with the Buffalo Bills. I think that's the play for me, although people that are much smarter than me, Aaron, seem to be on the Seahawks and riding the Russell Wilson wave. I, I won't try and dissuade you from that, but I think it's the spot we're coming up last week. People are kind of a little down on the Bills unfairly, and we're all thinking that the Seahawks are just going to win every game as long as Russell Wilson is healthy. So I'm going to go zig while everyone else is zagging and take a home dog here uh, and uh, take the points and the head start with the Buffalo Bills. 
Tyler, love your work on ESPN. You do fantastic stuff, and we appreciate you doing the, doing this for us tonight. A big night for your country, so sit sit on the couch and uh, revel in what's to come. Should be a very fascinating evening. Fascinating is probably the nicest way of saying it. Uh, yes. Who knows what is going to happen here, <laughs> but uh, certainly um, uh, the potential for uh, change uh, for uh, the United States. And I'm just happy to see how how invigorated the the masses here in the United States mm-hmm. have been about voting. So that's the most important thing. Get out and vote. And it seems like everyone is doing that in droves. So now we just wait and see what the results are. Amen, my friend. Thank you very much for doing this. No problem. All right. That is Tyler Fulgham, ESPN Gambling and Fantasy Sports host. And, yeah, a crazy night in the United States and an extremely impactful night. And we broke down the gambling implications. We'll give you any updates as they come here on The Edge on TSN 1050. I'm Aaron Korolnik. We're going to be back with Ian Harditz for, from Pro Football Focus, the host of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, to break down Week 8 and look ahead to Week 9 in the NFL from a fantasy perspective. And we'll do it. Next. We're back here on The Edge here on TSN 1050 in Toronto. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And my next guest, one of my favorite follows in the world of Twitter. He does fantastic work for Pro Football Focus. He's also the host of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. His name is Ian Harditz, and he joins us here on The Edge. What's up, Ian? How are you? What's going on, man? Happy uh, week nine. You know, it wasn't all that long ago that we were kind of wondering just how much NFL football we have seen. I know we still have some weekly hurdles to get around, you know, with injuries and COVID and all that. But I am happy that, you know, we have already gotten through pretty much half of of the season, you know, and got plenty of football left on the horizon. No doubt, my man. Before we get to week nine, I want to look back on week eight a little bit. I guess then also look ahead to week nine. We talk about the Bucks who squeaked out that win yesterday over the Giants. They did it without Chris Godwin, who many expect to be back in the lineup for week nine in the Bucks matchup against the Saints. But also, he's going to be in the lineup. It'll be Antonio Brown who'll make his debut for the Bucks. Now, you're a fantasy guy, and you're a fantasy specialist. How would you rank the big three wide receivers going forward for the Bucks? going Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, and Chris Godwin from one to three. Yeah, I think it's honestly going to be Antonio Brown number one. I'm guessing that's not what people want to hear or expect because guess what? Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are also fantastic wide receivers. But with Godwin right now dealing with a finger injury, to your point, he'll probably be back in week nine, but we don't know. Mike Evans continues to play hobbled. I mean, you know, he's... He's working through it. He's, uh, you know, playing through the ankle injury, but situation where, you know, Arians estimated Evans only at about 80% or so, uh, only a week or two ago. So we're getting a healthy AB, someone that, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers obviously had to take a ton of bad PR just to even bring in the fold, uh, to take all these chances. And then you, to hear Bruce Arians come out with this quote today saying, you know, maybe he'll play 10 snaps. Maybe he'll play 35. The wide receiver room is banged up as it is. And they went through yeah. all this to get the guys. Uh, I would be shocked if they don't, you know, give him a wide receiver one uh, worthy role. Just look at what happened. Uh, when he was with Tom Brady in New England last season. He only played 24 snaps, still had eight targets. This is on a team that had Julian Edelman, that had Josh Gordon, guys that Brady had played longer with and that were even healthier than the guys the Bucks have right now. So I think it's a reality of, you know, first and foremost, that these, you know, Goblin and Evans, they just aren't at 100% right now. So the Bucks need as many healthy options as they can get. And also just, you know, you don't take this chance without giving the guy a corresponding huge workload. So would you be going out in your fantasy leagues? I imagine you're playing in fantasy leagues that are a lot more knowledgeable players than perhaps myself and our audience. Would you recommend our audience go out and try to acquire Antonio Brown? And if so, what type of price would you be willing to pay? 
not just because I feel like people are kind of starting to come around this idea more and more. And some of the, you know, proposed trades I have seen out there consisting of Antonio Brown is kind of already treating him as the top 20 wide receiver that we're hoping he can be. So, look, we haven't seen anything about Antonio Brown. Now, as you know, a fantasy analyst, the best we can do is just try to uh, predict volume and how many opportunities guys are going to have. But who knows what Antonio Brown is going to make of that volume. we got a guy that hasn't played a competitive sport in a very long time. And, you know, for him to go out there uh, right on, I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, soft tissue injuries pop up out of nowhere when these kind of situations happen. So, look, I think the ceiling is incredibly high. In the best-case scenario, I do see Antonio Brown leading his team in receiving. But, you know, if someone is willing to give you a top, you know, 15 RB or even just some more kind of cemented top 15 wide receiver and they really want to go chase uh, that potential ceiling, that would be where I'm trying to sell on him. You know, if we can sell high on a guy that has yet to play a snap since week two of last season, uh, you know, certainly a, a solid move to consider. He is Ian Harditz of Pro Football Focus. I want to go from a prolific offense in the Bucks to perhaps the worst offense in the NFL, and that, of course, is the Dallas Cowboys. You won't see Ben DiNucci as quarterback this week, unfortunately. I really enjoyed watching what, what Dallas was trying to do with him last week. It sounds like there's a competition between Garrett Gilbert and Cooper Rush for who will start at QB for the Cowboys and get utterly destroyed by the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 9. What are you doing with Zeke Elliott at this point? Because Dallas is going to be behind and behind be behind big early. Where do you have Zeke ranked for the rest of the season, considering the uncertainty at quarterback for Dallas? It's wild that we are now in a time where Ezekiel Elliott will not be, you know, treated as a top, you know, top 12 RB1 option at the position. You know, I'm still finalizing the ranks and stuff, but he's really going to be kind of in that 16 to 19 range, kind of with the David Montgomery's of the world where, hey, you know, we're getting likely, you know, somewhere between 15 to 20 carries and anywhere from, you know, usually three to five targets, I'd say, with their new situation under center per week and a bad offense with, and with this minimal scoring upside. So, you know, with Zeke, usually the one thing we could always hang our hat on was the fact that, He's getting this volume, and he's in an offense that you know can consistently put points on the board. But oh my goodness, I mean, ten points, three points, nine points over these past three weeks without Dak, Dak Prescott under center. I mean, it's truly like a situation that's just as bad as the Jets and the, you know or, or the Bears or one of these offenses that we just can't see move the ball. So you know, he's still got that star on his home, but we need to realize this is nowhere near the same offense that we've seen in recent years. And to your point about the Steelers team that's just you know poised to wreck this offense. I mean, the Steelers right now are pressuring opposing quarterbacks on 48.5% of their dropbacks. That is the single best pressure rate that PFF has in our database. And, you know, just looking at this Cowboys offense, they can't slow down anyone, any pass rush in the league pretty much already, let alone one of the best pass rushes the league has seen in quite some time. So, you know, I think that's going to you know also play a role, obviously, against the run. We have seen, you know, Miles Sanders ripped off a long touchdown against the Steelers where they get a little bit too aggressive uh, trying to get after the quarterback. So, you know, maybe Zeke gets lucky on a draw or a screen pass, you know, when these guys are just rushing up a little too quickly, but there's no way around it, man. This is the worst imaginable spot for this offense right now. And because of that, you know, none of the wide receivers, I think, are recommended start options. And Zeke, we are treating as, you know, a non-top 15 option for pretty much the first time in his entire career. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about in most leagues, top three running backs drafted. You think about Christian McCaffrey, who's missed half the year. Saquon tore his ACL early on. We're not going to see him again. And now Zeke is almost useless. I mean, he's like a RB2, maybe an RB3. It's pretty remarkable to consider the way that everything has changed since draft day. So on the subject of running backs, and I'm looking at my waiver wire tonight, the transactions, and I'm trying to figure out who to pick up. Between Gus Edwards of the Ravens and DJ Dallas of the Seahawks, who would be your number one recommended pickup at running back this week? I think I would go with uh, Gus over um, 
over DJ Dallas at this point. It seemed like both Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde were, you know, game time decisions for that game. So haven't quite heard what Pete Carroll's update is on them this week, but it just seemed like those guys are pretty close to coming back. And look, credit to DJ Dallas, you know, for showing that he has the skill set to earn this three down roll. I mean, he went out there and played 88% of the offensive snaps and he managed to score two touchdowns. Fantasy managers are happy, but I mean, on 23 touches, this guy couldn't rip off a single run or reception, uh, you know, over of, uh, of even 10 yards. I mean, his longest play was nine yards on the game. So, you know, certainly wasn't a performance that I think is going to keep any of these, you know, incumbent and already uh, just being their backups uh, on the bench, you know, if uh, they get healthy. So if Carson's back, if Hyde's back, I think Dallas could become useful. Um, excuse me, useless. The thing with Gus Edwards is, you know, Mark Ingram still recovering from this high ankle sprain. And even if Ingram comes back, I mean, limited touches are in the realm of possibility. And let's say Ingram comes back to his normal role, we're at least still getting 10 to 12 carries per week and one of the league's best rushing offenses, whereas DJ Tallis is, you know, quite possibly a healthy scratch if all these guys uh, get healthy again. So, you know, Dallas, hey, he has that in his range of outcomes, but I just really don't think we're getting more than potentially one more usable week from him. If Ingram remains sidelined, both Dobbins and Gus Edwards are getting 15-plus carries in this offense. So the Colts have actually been awesome against the run this year, maybe the second-best run D, uh, only, only behind the Buccaneers uh, to this point. But, you know, credit to Edwards for, you know, uh, just putting up a great number really all season, 3.1 yards after contact per attempt, uh, 4.8 yards per carry. Hasn't quite been as good as Dobbins, but they trust him. And, you know, 15-plus touches in that offense can go a long way in fantasy land. Ian, the Thursday nighter between the Packers and the Niners, so many injuries for the Niners, and you look at the Packers' running back situation. We don't know if Aaron Jones will be available with that calf injury. Now, A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams are both in COVID protocol. They won't be available. Who's going to start a running back for the Packers in a decent spot against the Niners? Yeah, it's one of two guys, either Dexter Williams or Tyler Irvin. I tend to think Irvin is going to be the superior fantasy option. And look, he's not really your typical running back. He's played 108 snaps this season. 104 of them have come as a wide receiver. So, you know, they like to line him up there out wide. And to his credit, they usually kind of get him the ball on reverses still. It's just getting him out there and, you know, defense treats him as a wide receiver, catches him by surprise when he gets a handoff. But, you know, this is something they've done even going back last season in the playoffs. I mean, Tyler Irvin is someone that, you know, is, is kind of a career journeyman, but the Packers just have seemingly been fine with, you know, game planning a couple touches a game for him, even dating back to last season. On the other hand, Dexter Williams has five career carries for 11 yards, and that's not a touch uh, this entire year. So, you know, maybe Dexter does get, you know, more of the kind of early down work, but I think if anything, with all these injuries that you just mentioned, man, like, they're just going to let Aaron Rodgers throw the ball as many times as possible. If he is going to be out there chucking the rock around, it would make sense that Irvin is the primary pass down back. So, I don't think we can treat either of these guys, you know, like like Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams, you know, one of these true top 12 backs whenever we have these injuries uh, in the Packers' backfield going on. But, uh, you know, anyone involved in this Aaron Rodgers-led offense is going to have, you know, a certain level of a fantasy floor, and I think Irvin's is uh, is much higher than Williams this week. So I would prioritize Irvin. Again, though, kind of like the uh, Seattle situation, it doesn't sound like, you know, Aaron Jones and maybe these other backs, depending on how the COVID thing uh, plays out, doesn't seem, you know, like a multi-week absence is imminent. So, you know, I would just caution against spending the rest of your fat budget on him or anything like that. Ian, I want to get you out of here with a comment on Damian Harris of the Patriots, who's probably been their most dynamic offensive player, which isn't really saying much considering how impotent the Patriots' offense has been since the first couple weeks of the season. You look at the matchup on Monday night against the Jets, a, Jet, a team that you could certainly run on. Patriots will be favored. What do you view Harris as this week and going forward for the rest of the season? 
He's been playing some good ball. I mean, he's PFS ninth highest graded running back this year, just in terms of rushing grade and averaging a smooth 5.7 yards per carry. He's just incredibly game script dependent. I mean, last week went great for him, you know, 16 carries and was able to make the most out of him, but he still played behind James White and Rex Burkhead on a per snap basis. And Sony Michelle, you know, he's someone that we've, uh, you know, been talking kind of a lot of smack about on the old Twitter sphere over the years. But, you know, truly this year, you look at some of these yards after contact uh, per rush numbers and Sony Michelle was actually, you know, cracking the top of the list on some of these things. So I think Michelle is going to have a spot in this offense when he is healthy enough to come back, you know, despite Harris playing pretty well in his own right. Either way, you know, whichever one of these guys ends up taking this role, I mean, it is the definition of a game script, you know, dependent spot because in the two losses that we saw, uh, you know, Harris have to kind of go through, uh, he ended up not even getting over 10 touches and was a completely irrelevant fantasy factor. So in spots like this against the Jets, I mean, we can treat him as a legit top 24 option. Uh, just realize that if these games go south and get a negative game script, there is no pass down floor and uh, because of that we're just going to need to see him make the most out of you know eight to ten carries and unfortunately even his status as the goal line back uh, doesn't help quite as much when he got cam newton you know just as just as likely to score anytime they get down there so good guy to have there and with all these injuries and bye weeks and stuff you can certainly do worse than anyone uh, that can have the chance to flirt with 15 plus carries and you know the good matchups but i just think we should temper expectations it doesn't seem like there's really any scenario where this guy emerged as an rb1 in 2020 he is Ian Harditz. He covers the NFL and fantasy for Pro Football Focus. Make sure to check out his podcast, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you for doing this, my man. Amazing information. Love your work, and thank you for taking the time tonight. Appreciate you, man. Best of luck to everyone in week nine. Thank you very much. On behalf of all of our listeners and on behalf of me, because I need all the help I can get when it comes to fantasy football, and Ian Harditz provides that for me on a weekly basis. Coming up here on The Edge, we're going to get at some of the Masters odds, of course, next Thursday. That's right, only nine days away until the beautiful sounds of Augusta National will serenade us on TSN. James Thutty, Bob Weeks, the whole TSN golf crew will be down at Augusta to provide you coverage. We'll get into some of the favorites and perhaps some of the underdog stories you might be looking for heading into next week. I'm Aaron Karolnik. You're listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050. Well, we don't discriminate against the world of politics when it comes to our gambling obsession. And yes, your fine host here on TSN 1050, and fine is, of course, a relative word when it comes to myself, has some election election wagers tonight. I back Joe Biden to win the election. I don't back him as a politician. I'm talking purely about the money. And Joe Biden's odds <laughs> to win the election are plummeting. He was at minus 220, uh, courtesy of Odd Shark, at 7.15 p.m. ET. That's about about 48, 38 minutes ago. Now he is minus 145. So lots, lots of money coming in on the incumbent Donald Trump. And this night should be a fascinating one. I cannot wait. So let's go into our TSN 1050 election headquarters to check in with Al's brother on the latest. Al's brother, take it away. Yes, as we know, the race to 270 is currently underway, and some electoral votes are starting to trickle in Ooh. here, so I'll update you. Currently, Joe Biden up 16 to 13 <laughs> in votes. However, Donald Trump up oh. in the uh, vote percentage. He, so far, has the popular vote at 49.9%. Wow. So, uh, yeah, Kanye like... West. Kanye West in third place. Exactly. Kanye stealing a little bit of votes from Biden, looks like. 
Interesting. Very interesting. Well, we'll check in with you in you know about the next 90 seconds, brother. If anything changes, quickly I want to mention the Masters. Of course, next week, the Masters going on at Augusta. It's the November Masters, something that's unprecedented. But everything our world in our world these days is unprecedented, including what could happen tonight as well in the U.S. election. Eight of the last ten Masters winners were ranked 16th or better going into the tournament. So Augusta is the only major not to crown a champion ranked higher than 30th and Bryson DeChambeau tabbed as the favorite to win a major title at plus 800 of course he won the U.S. Open as his first major earlier this year you have the usual candidates in Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Justin Thomas I know DJ's dealing with the COVID-19 virus we don't know exactly what he's been up to lately but certainly a prime candidate to win the Masters as he always is and we know that Tiger Woods is the defending champion he's played very little golf in the last six months. Haven't seen him performing well when he's playing at all. So if you want to back Tiger, he's going off at about 34 to 1. His odds represent the 13th best odds to win the tournament. And there has not been a repeat winner since Tiger did it himself in the early 2000s. So, you've been listening to TSN Edge here on TSN 1050 in Toronto. We've been tracking the election odds for you. We've been talking NFL Week 8, looking ahead to NFL Week 9, and we're breaking down the Masters. And we'll be doing that again on Friday night when we return here on TSN 1050. So, for Al's brother, I'm Aaron Korolnik. Enjoy what could be a monumentally entertaining, stressful, nerve-wracking evening. If you're into American politics, sit back and relax. Should be quite the show. You've been listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050 in Toronto.